the first time a headhunter called me about running an institution, being you know being the director of a museum, um, I called my mother and I said, "Mom, this headhunter is calling me about this job. I've never done this before." Without hesitation, my mother said, "That's your job. All you have to do is claim it." Being the only boy and the youngest in my family was beneficial to me in many ways, but most beneficial was the experience of having an older sister. Two, in fact. Juanita Moore is a master big sister, and that experience has shaped her into the leader she is today. She joins the Culture Cipher podcast to discuss her journey to leadership positions in museums across America. So let's get a little bit about your background. Where are you from, and what is your, like, your primary background? Well, um, I'm, I grew up in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and um, I now live in North Carolina. Um, you know, I, everybody goes home again. Yeah. And um, so, but I, I've worked in museums for 37 years, and okay. I loved every minute of it. And um, I now um, still just... Love working in museums. Well, I love... Yeah. What culture does. And what is that? Um, Culture creates a boundary so that you can become boundless. Ooh. History, too. History and culture. What specifically did you study? Um, What did I study? Mm -hmm. In in undergrad and... Math. Math. Oh. But... Interesting. Yeah, but... My my uh, junior year in college, I took a history class from Corbett A. Jones. Okay, Mr. Jones was so amazing. He and actually an African history class to be exact. That I wanted to, you know, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning the next every day to go to his class. He was fabulous, mm-hmm. and he would tell us things like, "If you have come to this university for four years." And you haven't changed your mind about anything, and you believe and still think the same way you did when you came. You need to sue the university and get your money back. Yes. Because we have failed you. Absolutely. That's one of the things I think I learned from undergrad, too, is how it taught me how to think. It taught me how to question and analyze my surroundings. And I really grew a lot in that experience. So I understand that. I yeah, that was, but that was that. the first person that ever just I heard say that. Wow. We have failed you if we've not taught you to think and to change your mind about anything. And I was just fascinated by his class. Mm-hmm. But I had only been a math major anyway because I wanted to get a job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure I could work. I was going to ask you about that. Is that why you majored in math? So you oh, did yeah. that in order to, to get a job. Yeah. Did you venture further into the math field? And when did you sw- And if not, when did you switch to doing well I I, I didn't fi- I that I loved that history class okay. so much that my senior year I took 30 hours of history. I loved it so much. It just made, it fed my soul. Wow. So I took, you know, 30 hours of history. I should tell you that I was at a historically black college. There we go. And the, I mean, it was like going to church every day yeah. and having my soul fed. I was just, and so then I got a master's in history. I wonder, is it, you going to tell us which, which college you went to? I went to North Carolina Central. Oh, okay, North Carolina Central. Yeah. Morehouse grad. Ah, mm-hmm. all right. HBCUs all, all the way, absolutely. Well, <laughs> from when when I grew up, it was it was important because having gone being the first group of people to integrate a school, you weren't warm and fuzzy and welcome. 
you know, they played Dixie at every mm-hmm. <laughs> every football game and Absolutely. pep rally. And so, you know, I was looking forward to getting back to a situation where people really, you know, thought I was important and, you know, believed that it was, I could become somebody and wanted to make sure that I became somebody and work to do that. Like, you know, Corbett Jones said, we have failed you if we have not worked to do this. You need to sue us and get your money back. I think it's funny because at the time when I was at my uh, alma mater, I you kind of overlooked those things a little bit, those the little pieces and the little drops of knowledge that they would give us at Crown Forum every week. And I look back, I'm like, wow, they were really, really investing in us. Like, oh, it's nothing I would ever expect to get at a Michigan State or you know an Ohio State. In my experience. I went to a Catholic school, um, and then I, I was searching for that same type of experience when I graduated. I was like, you know, I want to go to a school where I, I see myself every day and not only see myself, see myself in diverse forms, a lot yeah. of different types of people. So that's that's wonderful. Um, so you did the math in undergrad, and then you switched over to history your senior year. So mm-hmm. did you switch your major to? Okay, so you just switched to major. So then after that, how did how did your family react? How did people react to that? And how did you feel? You felt very kind of liberated in a way, I assume? I've always been pretty independent. You think I discussed it with anybody? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. That was a decision I made. And so when they heard it, they were just like, oh, this is what she's going to do. I didn't talk about it. I just did it. Hmm. I mean, I didn't go to someone and say, oh, well, you know, I was thinking that I just did that. I mean, because that, as I told you, it was like going to church every every day. It was Sunday every day when I was going into history classes. It taught me so much about me. It was about who I was and that, you know, black people did things and we accomplished things. And it wasn't just about slavery. And it was, and that even the part about slavery was about resilience and people who, you know, really knew how to manage and navigate a system mm-hmm. that was there to basically destroy them and uh, and how they overcame. And it was so uplifting and it was so, it filled me with such a sense of pride and such a sense of what I could accomplish, you know, and that who people, I, I loved it. I loved it. And was there a transition period before arts and culture after you finished your history major? What do you mean a transition? Did you do anything outside of arts and culture once you left from undergrad? You went right into the arts and culture field. No, 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 no. Oh God, no. You have to find your way. Right. No matter Mm -hmm. how you how you know how you lay out the dream, (laughs) you have to find your way. Right, right, right. It's never that straight of a path because you're not ready. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be prepared for the journey prepares you for the destination. That's a good so point. So while I may have thought that I was ready <laughs> right. to go and do what I ultimately did, like run an institution, mm-hmm. I needed the journey. Did you initially want to run an institution once you finished? Did you know that was what you wanted to do? No. Okay. So no. how did you come to that? How did that happen? Um, Actually, when the first time a headhunter called me about running an institution, being, you know, being the director of a museum, um, I called my mother and I said, Mom, this headhunter is calling me about this job. I've never done this before. Without hesitation, my mother said, that's your job. All you have to do is claim it. That's real. And once you got into that position, how did you feel? How was that first day? Oh, God. Well, I, I, my, my 
my first job, my first directorship okay. was um, running the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. Okay. And it was under construction, and I had just, I had been working on the project to plan and build a museum in Wilberforce, so I had gone through that process. So I did have some sense of confidence that I knew something about building a museum and getting it open because I had done that. Okay. But I tell you, it was such grace. I believe in grace and mercy. Uh, I had such grace that, you know, the things that I didn't know, uh, somehow, you know, I could just, I figured it out. And there were oftentimes people to help me that I didn't know that was helping me. You know how you think you're busting through doors and there's somebody on the other side pulling it for you. And later on you found out. That was happening to me all the time. Wow. That I didn't, you know, I did my part. I think I did my mm-hmm. part. I'd like to think I did my part by working really hard and putting in the time and all of that. But I do know that without the grace, I would not have made that. Absolutely. I, I think we all kind of find, and I, I think I will soon find, because I don't think I've, I've haven't ventured that far into my career yet. Oh, it's not about your career. It's just oh. about how you live. Think oh, okay. about all the grace that you have. You went to Morehouse. Yeah, uh, true. What grace. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. You, absolutely. You could have been someplace that wasn't as nurturing for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think even this opportunity right here in, in some ways is grace because I'm able to do something that I really love. And it's just, just the opportunity to do it. And you're not even quite sure how you got it, but you did. Got right? It's great. Go. It's great. So there absolutely. Um, so those people that were able to give you that grace, were they were they were they higher ups that were looking down and wanting to pull like help you, or were they friends? Were they family? How did no, you make there those are people, associations? And it's not always about people. I, like there are sometimes when mm-hmm. uh, you know that I mean I moved to Memphis. I didn't know a soul in Memphis. Um, there were people who weren't rich, weren't powerful, they just sometimes introduced me to somebody. They told me something about the city that kept me from making a mistake. Got you. That I didn't even really know at the time. I got you. That was powerful information, but it turned out to help steer me in a way. That's what grace is all about. It's not always something. It's about the things that just you know, sort of like breadcrumbs that sort of give you a path or help you in ways that, you know, you know you don't deserve all that. That person, you know, they were just being nice. They were just, they walk up to you and say, oh, I've been, I was thinking about you and, you know, that and that you were here and I wanted to come and meet you and I just wanted to tell you blah, 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 blah. And it would be some, it's something that would be, that's very helpful to you. And it's not a big deal to them, right. but it's it's a big deal to you. So a lot of people that help were just regular people who they they it was important to them to have a civil rights museum mm. in the city, and you know, and they the, believed in you too, and, and understood Absolutely. that the civil rights movement was important. Right, that it it was it changed the way every single person in this country lived today. It was the movement that made this country live up to its creed of democracy and all of those things and so it's an important part of american history it is american Absolute. history it, it is Amer- american history yeah so Absolutely. i think that there were you know so it's, it wasn't always that intentional or that fo- you know that's just how grace is absolutely so when you were getting um the phone calls to come and work was that the aha i am committing to the arts and culture sector or was there something else that you knew prior to that that led you to it, you knew I'm, I'm going to do arts and culture. This is the way I want. Because you do talk about how culture is so important. 
Mm-hmm. I, it was it was years and years earlier. Okay. It was not years and years earlier, but much earlier. I was I was a curator at the Ohio Historic Society. Gotcha. And primarily working in history, but to me, I always felt like, you know, you that it was it was it's it's all one and the same. Mm-hmm. You don't really separate it. You you know, artists are, you know, they teach us history just as much as historians because they are usually teaching us about events and their work teaches us about, you know, the beauty of life or a time period or, uh, you know, some topic or something. Mm-hmm. So um, I used to volunteer to, to I, I ran a dance company. Okay. And as a volunteer. Okay. And I work with artists as a volunteer. But that's all, that was also um, one of the best educations I could have gotten. I couldn't have paid for that education because I didn't, you know, I would have had to go into college for another four, six, four to six years. And it was, that's what, you know, when you give, it you, it, you get back in return. Right. And that's what that was doing. It was teaching me and training me and opening up a whole new world for me as I thought I was giving something. I was getting so much more back. Mm. And we just have to be mindful of those opportunities wow. that come our way. Definitely. And, um... So as I, I didn't realize that I was building my muscle mm. to be able to run an institution mm-hmm. in all the ways that I was working in community. Anytime there was a festival there, I was there to work with artists, put up chairs, take down chairs, clean up the place. And anybody around me had to go and do it too. So it was it's, it's that kind of being involved and connected with community. And, and it was also culture. Right. It was allowing me, it was creating me to learn within these boundaries so that I could become boundless. So when I got to work in the museum, I understand understood that it was the way to teach about civil rights wasn't just to have someone do a lecture, history lecture. I could also have a dance performance. I could have a th- I could have theater. I could do an art exhibit. I could do a phot- photo- uh, photography exhibit. I could have uh, hip hop. I could have a speech. I could, you know, I could do all kinds of things to help teach those um, uh, about the, the 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 life and work of people who participate in the civil rights movement. Now, did you engage in any arts or dance or culture when you were younger that kind of inclined you to volunteer for that organization? No, no. But I can tell you, in uh, in my segregated elementary school on LV Street. LV Streets Elementary, <laughs> we had operettas and we used to have to recite, like on Fridays, Paul Lance Dunbar, Langston Hughes, Gwendolyn Brooks, and you know, so we had to um, learn these poems and, and do that. And like we were doing that in, oh, from third through seventh grade. Wow. So we we I, I that's that was the glory. I mean, with Negro History Week at the time, it was we learned about black artists, black writers, black performers, black dancers. You know, we we learned about them. So I know you primarily through the Detroit Charlie Wright Museum. Yes. So I'm a native Detroiter, and I went to. I don't know how long remember how long your, your tenure was at the Charlie. Twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah. So that's two thousand five? Six. Six. Two thousand six. Okay. I believe it just closed then. So my elementary school was across the street 
at um, the Episcopal Church in oh, South. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it was Herlong Cathedral School. So we used to always walk ah. trips to the Science Center, to the Charles H. Wright Museum all the time. And then even after that, you know, going back to the Wright Museum. So uh, I know you primarily through then. So what got you from the Civil Rights, fr- from the Ohio Historic Museum to the Civil Rights Museum to the Wright Museum? Well, I had the Jazz Museum in between. Okay. Yeah, the American Jazz Museum in Kansas City. Wow, you got all of those great museums. Civil rights, jazz. Oh, man. See my grace? That's that's (laughs) fantastic. That's great. I I mean, I was talking about something, and my brother was talking to me, and I was saying, oh, and I did this and this. And he said, oh, you've been walking in favor for a long time, huh? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Jazz is my favorite genre, but continue. (laughs) But you know what? I, I do. I have. But I come, as I told you, I come from a family, a very large family. There were nine children in our family. And both my parents worked, and my mom worked, and I remember I was I was um, you were the so, oldest, right? I was the oldest, so I had to take care of the kids. And I remember I was standing at the door one day, looking out, and I didn't know I was just looking out at my friends playing and everything, and I I really felt sad, but I didn't know I wasn't really aware of it. Mm-hmm. But I do remember this. I was looking out the door, and I remember my mom coming up to me, putting her hand on my shoulder, and she calls me Ann, and she said, Ann, don't you worry about them, and don't worry about that. One day you'll be traveling the world, and they will be home taking care of their own kids. Mm. Was she right? Absolutely. (laughs) In the past two years, I've been to South Africa, Italy, France twice, Brazil, Israel. <laughs> so yeah, she's right. So touching upon your your experience as an oldest child, I'm really curious. How do you think that that could have prepared you for your leadership roles as a president, CEO, and running all those museums? Um, I think that you know, even as an older child and whatever, there were a couple of things. I think that um, you know, you have to be able to convince your brothers and sisters to work with you. You know, although you're oldest and you're in charge, they really are. And when there are nine of them, they don't really have to do anything. They can all gather against you and you spend all your time just being aggravated to death. That's funny because I'm the youngest and I know I aggravated. So <laughs> I know I did. You have to be able to convince and, you know, to become a leader, you've got to convince people to follow you. And I think that learning to work with my brothers and sisters and help get them to follow and do things uh, and get things done was something that I learned. The other thing is that you have to be able to enlarge other people, help mm-hmm. them grow. So, you know, you have to convince, like I had to convince my brothers and sisters sometimes that making the bed was for them, cleaning up and stuff was really like, um, it was an experience of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a chore. It was an opportunity for them to grow and learn stuff. And they were going to be, you know, we could sometimes make that something special. Usually on this podcast, we have choreographers on here. So it's often we get the kind of artist, teacher, educator perspective. So it's very unique that we get to have um, someone who's been head of an art institution in, in a long time. So it was really good to get your insight. And so what other experiences prior to even your career that you think you pulled from that could help you get into those leadership positions? Um, hard work. 
really hard work mm-hmm. knowing that you know you um that you you could do anything that you put your mind to but you had mm-hmm. to do it well right and that um there's no wasting of 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 time mm. to having to go back and do something because you didn't do it well the first time. Mm. Um, also, you know, understanding that you serve, and that's something I learned. You know, just because I was the oldest, I was serving all of my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. That you learn that you know to be a servant leader. Mm. Absolutely. You know, I was in charge of them, but I was also serving them. And did you I, feel did you feel any type of you were talking earlier about how you didn't really know you were feeling your way through it, but through that you learned and you grew and you were able to be good at your job and at the leadership position. Did you feel any anxiety in that? Or were you nervous? Were you scared? Like, how did you about cope my, with- my job? Yeah, about your being put in that position to be like, okay, so you're going to be the leader. Was all that experience enough for you to be like, yes, I know I can do this? Or was it a situation where you're like, well, um, I don't, I don't know yet. I'm not sure. To be perfectly honest, when my mother said that was my job, all mm-hmm. I had to do was claim it, I believed her. Wow. I, I, I believed her. No hesitation. I believed my mom. Being able to be like, okay, now what do I have to do to do this? And breaking that down may be beneficial. Is that how you thought about it at all? Um, I thought about the fact that, I mean, I could do it because I was going to work hard enough to make it happen. I wasn't right. going to give up. Right, exactly. My mother believed in me, and I wasn't going to give up. I was going to do it. And We're, I believed that she was going to be praying for me. Remember, when we introduced ourselves today, Yes. I said, I'm a country girl from North Carolina, yeah. the daughter of Sage Prayer Warriors, Esther Barnes, and grandmother Lillian Lane. Wow. And that's has been my rock because they pray for me. Hmm. And you are I, a product of them. Yep, they pray for me. And I know that when they pray for me, that, you know, I believe that God will hear them. So for for those who don't have that, who, who who hesitate to kind of get into that, okay, I have to work as hard as I have to, I have to do what I have to do to get it done. What advice could you give those people, or the youth specifically, that kind of are hesitant and don't have the ideas that, what what can we do to kind of move into that direction? Because that's where you get the, the great leaders. Well, I think that, you know, everything is not a straight line. Mm-hmm. So... When you're going, you, you do it. You, I mean, that doesn't mean you, you, that means you do take chances and it doesn't come. And even with prayer, I know that my grandmother would always say, God may not be there when you want him, but he's always right on time. Mm-hmm. So we can't, even in that sense, I couldn't make it happen in my timetable. And that's true for all of us. There is a, there, there, there is a time for all things. And we have to continue to do our part. Mm. And just because we think that we're ready for it and it should happen now, it's, you you know, that's not how that happens. Now, I've applied for jobs and didn't get them. Mm-hmm. But every job that I've ever applied for and did not get, it wasn't six months later that I'm thinking, thank you, God, for not giving me that job. Mm-hmm. Because while I thought that was what I wanted and it was the best for me, it really wasn't. I just didn't know that. And so sometimes we need to wait and understand that when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, 
that's just not the path that we should go mm-hmm. to get to our destination. So I want to talk a little bit about, you said, um, even the hard times that you had to go through in your career, even though you said you're going to do whatever it takes to get through. Can you tell me a little bit about one of those experiences that you had where you were like, okay, I'm going to persevere through this? Um, I think the, you know, one of the biggest ones is really usually around fundraising. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, when you know you, you know that you need that money for the institution. Yeah. And um, you, you keep working. And that's when I, I also say that it may not be there when you want it, mm-hmm. but it will be on time. You won't fall, you know, you just, but you don't give up either. You keep working to, to do what you can do to make it happen. You don't just go like, okay, fine, it's not, I don't see any way for it to happen. That's that. And mm-hmm. just fall back. That's not what you do. You keep, you keep working at it. You keep doing what you can do. You keep doing your very best. Was there a specific time that you can recall? Well, Detroit went through uh-huh. the... Oh, right, yeah. Oh, my God, Detroit went through... When the whole country went through a recession, Detroit went through a depression. Yeah. And all of our institutions were suffering and struggling and, you know? And already all of us. <laughs> too. <laughs> and so, you know, at but, that time, that yeah. was like a really tough time. And... Um, you, you came out pretty strong, though. I, I remember reading how, how you increased... Yeah, but that's the, grace. The I'm telling you, I just want to grace. Okay. It's like, it wasn't, I was doing my best. Yeah. I did my best and tried to do my part. But there are things that I know that I could not have that, that you know, like that fell into place that I was depending on someone else to do that. And I mean, to come through. I mean, so every time somebody writes you a check, you can do everything you can and you feel that you deserve it, but they don't have to. Mm-hmm. So you just have to, uh, that's why I said, you know, that all those people, the day I retired at my retirement event that night, I looked out in the audience and saw all those people who had been there for me time and time and time again and been there for the institution because I don't want to feel like it's just me. People want that institution. It is important in that community and it is important that it survive and they know that and they will be there for it. So it wasn't just about me. It was about the institution. But whether they were there for the institution or for me or or for both, I looked out at that audience that night and saw all of those people and at that point, their names were Grace because they had been our Grace, mine and the institutions. And there are times when, you know, you don't know. You just keep working, keep mm-hmm. working, and don't give up. But something comes through. Can you give me, give me a time where you had finished your day of work and you walked out and you had already known at that moment that you had fulfilled your purpose and you had done what you needed to do? No, because it doesn't end like that. Mm. It's not like that. You don't go like, oh. Now you may f- say, I've done all I can do for the day. Right. But there's always a bigger vision. Absolutely. Yeah, there's always a bigger vision. And you want the best and the most for the community in which you're serving mm-hmm. and the institution that in which you're serving. So you you may walk out the door and say, I've done all I can do today. But let's start thinking about what we can do tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Culture Cipher podcast by Heritage Works. 
This activity is supported in part by the McGregor Fund, the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Additional support is provided by the Kresge Foundation and the Fred and Barbara Erb Family Foundation. To learn more about Heritage Works and the work we do in the community, visit heritageworks.org.